Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Library is Open podcast, where we discuss technology trends in the library community and tools we use every day as librarians. I'm your host, Jesse Zaro, and joining us today is David Lankis, the director of the University of South Carolina's Library School of Information Science. Hi. Hi, good morning or good morning. afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, David, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into the library world. Um, a little bit about myself. So I'm, I'm right now, as you said, a professor and director of the School of, Lo of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Before that, I've been here for about five years. Before that, I was a professor up at Syracuse University for just about 20 years. Um, and before that, I was a doctoral student there. And how I got into libraries is, is interesting. I, I, like, I always loved um, Chris Borges' uh, term feral librarian, which is people who come into the field sort of from alternative backgrounds. I, uh, I went to college to become an illustrator um, for, for reasons of basically wanting employment. I decided that wasn't my, my future. So I started working in technology and multimedia computing and things of that nature and started working with a professor by the name of Mike Nyland over in the School of Information Studies there. Uh, and when I was graduating, he said, come into the doctoral program. And I said, sure. Uh, and my advisor was a fellow by the name of Mike Eisenberg. Mike Eisenberg um, worked in school libraries. Um, he was uh, just a, an outstanding and amazing person. Uh, together we started a project called Ask Eric and I was brought into the world of information centers and running a government information center. Uh, and all the questions I was interested in asking about technology and human interaction with technology and um, I kept realizing it was the library domain that was asking these questions and answering and the people working uh, on these topics. And so I just sort of kept working closer and closer um, in the library community, uh, running this information center, dealing with things like answering questions online and virtual reference, dealing with things like metadata and linked data software. And so um, when he left to become Dean at the University of Washington, they hired me as a professor and I've just been working in the field of library science. Uh, and since then, I'm a certified public librarian in the state of New York. People often ask, so you're not really a librarian. I said, well, I'm a certified state librarian in the state of New York and yeah. a director of an Eric Center, which is a government information center. And I work with Library of Congress and lots of libraries. But by and large, I mean, my whole world is around wanting to have interesting conversations with interesting people and to me, those are in, happening in and around the library sector. And so it just keeps drawing me deeper and deeper in. I love it. I was telling David earlier before we started our podcast that I've been following him for years since I was in library school and I'm almost fangirling over here that I finally get to talk to him on a, a podcast and, and find out all the wonderful things that he's been doing. Um, so I'll, I'll take it to our next question. Um, I see that you have a new podcast out um, called the Skill Set Podcast, and you uh, maybe co-host with another person, Nicole Cook? Yes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you guys discuss on there. So, yeah, so we're working with Publishers Weekly to, to put it out and um, publicize it. Nicole Cook and I are the initial narrators, but we we envision it as a way of connecting what we're doing in the curriculum courses we teach with what's going out, out on the field. And so where it grew out of, um, we redid our curriculum, um, new core curriculum at, at South Carolina, and we created a new course on community engagement and outreach. And the first time that we taught a course on community engagement and outreach was 
this semester in the middle of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and economic downturn. And so you can yeah. imagine that all of the texts and articles about how you engage your community that were now seven months old were, you know, suddenly completely out of date. Yeah. And so what we decided to do, and this is, I have pretty strong feelings that library science curriculum needs to respond and connect to the profession, um, is that we said, let's go ask people who are trying to figure this out how they're doing it. So talking to people like Corinne Hill at, at Chattanooga Library, where mm -hmm. they have thousands of people now showing up to, to uh, authors series. We talked mm -hmm. to um, Angela Craig down at Charleston Public Library about how they are truly building a digital platform now. Um, we talked with Melanie um, Townsend Diggs and Kelvin Watson about um, serving libraries and serving libraries around the Black Lives Matter and being Black in the profession. So really this whole notion of how do we reach out to different parts of the community. And so rather than having seasons, we're having semesters. Yeah. Uh, the next semester that Nicole is taking the lead on will be around things like self-care and wow. um, creating wellness in, in library environments and working environments. We're having conversations about uh, looking at what we call the new normal agenda. What should libraries look like after this pandemic? How do we mm -hmm. use this pandemic to, to, to move things in? And so really it's just a matter of sitting down, having great conversations with interesting people, and then sharing those um, with others. It, to me, it's just so amazing how librarians have adapted to the, the current situation that we're in. And I've been following both on social media and just some of our partner libraries that we work with here, just what, they're, what they've been doing creating virtual story times because they can't get in. They're only open two or three hours a day, but they're still getting all of the material out to their patrons, whether it's a curbside pickup or, you know, shortened hours. And it's just, it's so amazing to me how they've adapted in this new climate. And this podcast sounds like right up their alley that they could listen to and hear what other libraries are doing and, and members of the community. Well, and it's a really intensive time because it's yeah. been, to watch libraries go through this arc um, of someone said when, when the shutdown happened and not every library shut down in the U S yeah. but, but as most libraries shut down um, and they were providing, suddenly they were the Wi-Fi in the parking lot. And as someone said, that was yep. quite literally the least they could do to serve their communities, which is not turn something off. Right. Um, but to then watch, folks scramble to figure out how do they reach out and serve communities, virtual story time, the idea mm -hmm. of creating online conversations, the idea of expanding services. And um, one of the, the thing that, you know, the geek in me was really interested in that what we've talked to, talked about for a long time is the library as a platform. Mm -hmm. And we assumed it was a platform. Um, that as libraries move to more community centric, as libraries move toward more digital, uh, as libraries move towards more creation, et cetera, we thought that was going along well, but what we found when suddenly the physical space was withdrawn is that we had built two parallel platforms. Uh, not everyone, but many of them had this sort of community centric, come in, be part of the community, living room, community, university, the people, yeah. whatever you want to talk about. And on the other hand, there was digital content creation and not just storing linked data systems, all this digital side. And, and we assumed that they were working together, but it turns out they weren't. Because as soon as, you know, they got past the, 
we can leave the Wi-Fi on, it turned into let's go buy more eBooks and more eBook licensing. Yep. And it almost reverted back to a, a relatively old model of, of libraries as just as collections. And it's taken a while for, for them, for libraries of all sorts to figure out what's the right mix. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's been remarkable that as we move through the pandemic and we began to thinking about what changed and what should stay changed. Uh, for example, I work a lot with librarians around the world mm-hmm. and it's been really interesting that both in Germany and in Chattanooga, they both are experiencing the situation where librarians suddenly became content creators. They were, they were yeah, creating sessions and author sessions and, and they were a little worried that they wouldn't want to go back to doing things that weren't content creation. So it's been fun to watch that. Yeah. But then as you looked in social media, as we began discussing reopening, this very interesting, I think very important discussion, particularly in social media occurred about you know, the health and well-being of the workforce, yeah. the yes. separation between those people who are going to be sitting out there with masks and hand sanitizers and those who are making decisions that wouldn't be. Um, administration versus frontline workers. And so that became a really powerful conversation as well. And so, and now we're getting to the point of looking past what happens next and what comes afterwards. And so in a very short time, in, in a year, we have seen this massive evolution and conversation going on in librarianship that has been remarkable to watch. I think in some ways disheartening, in some ways very encouraging. Um, And my hope is that we take the lessons that we're learning and the experience we're doing and figure out how we truly change to better serve our communities in academic public school settings going forward. Yeah. I, I have just seen your example of like w- what they've been doing in Chattanooga and in Germany, like just some of the libraries here, like doing little videos where they show people how to tie dye while they're stuck at home. There was one, one of our libraries here in McKinney, Texas. I, I always talk about this one. They brought a mechanic in and he was showing every week he'd do a little tidbit and tell them how they could fix something on their car. I mean, just bringing all of that in and it's not just you know digital content or a physical item you know you're teaching them something and then keeping that lifelong learning going and i it gives me chills every time i talk about it like just being part of that community and showing like how valuable your library is i mean the community is the collection i mean the books yeah. the materials yes. the databases and such those are the tools that help us do collection development exactly which is helping people learn uh, helping people find meaning in their life and helping communities make stronger and, and better decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been interesting in Chattanooga, they were talking about a situation where they were producing so much content that they feel that at least through social media, they've inundated their community to the point where there's too much going on. And so they're rethinking how they offer online programming and they're thinking of themselves as a television station that are looking at programs and they're looking at ratings about whether you continue this function and uh, it, you know, very special episode of tie dyeing with so-and-so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been fun. Um, I'll t- drop one more example that I'm, I, I loved hearing about this one too. So there's a special library in Omaha, Nebraska called Do Space and no physical collection in there. It's more of like a technology base. So maker space areas and, and teaching it. So a lot of their 
you know, interaction with the community was people coming in and making things. And so when they shut down for a little bit, they transitioned that again to online and they were teaching people how to build websites, how to um, work on their resumes, you know, if, if they've lost their job over the, the pandemic and, you know, how to get back into the workforce. And I just, it's, I just love just love seeing all of this, like how they've adapted and then everyone sharing information to see what other libraries are doing and making sure that that gets out um, to other people. Yeah, we have libraries that, one of the interesting things that was discovered is, you know, yes, e-lending and materials yeah. went up, uh, but they were talking and, and not across the board, but the, the examples that stick out to me. So I, I need to be clear that more data needs to be collected, but yeah they're talking about programs where they used to get tens and twenties of people suddenly getting hundreds of people showing up for it. And yeah. they're like, yes. why haven't we done this in the past? And thinking about the idea of, you know, I had one library director saying, we are never, ever, ever doing, uh, you know, in-person physical version of summer reading ever again. We're doing it all online because, uh, and yes, there are equity issues and they're thought through, but uh, it really was the notion of, this is something we need to, to look at how we change our service, not just as a stopgap measure. I can remember when I was in library school, we never really talked about like marketing your library. That was never like something that came up in a class. I'm dating myself how long back I was in library school. But I feel like the pandemic has really kind of forced everybody to get out of their comfort zone and really like market what they have available, even though the library may be in limited hours or closed. And I think it almost helped like get more exposure. I can say like my brother who is um, a single male in a large metropolitan area is constantly at the library, both pre pandemic and post-pandemic, but now has switched to more of a online environment. And it's just, I'm glad to see like the transition still kept going, like, you know, still going into the library, still checking for things. Maybe it's virtually now, but um, I feel like they're marketing a lot better than before as well. And I don't know if you've noticed that trend too. Well, it, library is a strong brand. Um, yeah. And it's a highly, librarians are highly trusted. Um, it's a distributed and local service by and large. If we talk about public and school libraries, yeah. but even academic libraries have a, a local constituency, excuse me. Um, and so we're seeing the benefits of that brand now. In other words, when we, when people, it's, it's like, well, I'm going to bake sourdough bread. I'm going to brew at home and I'm going to go to the library as I stream Netflix. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's like a comfort institution. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we need to take advantage of that because you're right. We don't, we don't do enough discussion about marketing. Sometimes people think marketing is an evil word because it's from a business context, but yeah. the idea of letting people know what's there and how it can help them and listening about what they need and how we can provide it is something we absolutely need to do a better job, both in library school and um, out there in the library. That's why I said the class for teaching on community engagement. A lot of it is the idea of, you know, you don't, think about the library as here's a set of services and collections. Let's go survey people about what they think of them. Um, because asking the community what they think about a library, one, it's not their job to think about the library. And mm -hmm. two, we know that people, when they're not sort of immersed in something, their primary reaction is what it shouldn't be. They're always responding to what it looks like. I mean, as someone who works in 
integrated library systems, right? Yeah. What could this be? And the answer is, well, it needs to do this function better and it needs to look like that. Yep. And they're responding on what they can see. And so when you go to a community and say, what do you want? And their answer is either more of what we have or a little less of what we have mm -hmm. and rarely is different than what we have. And so that com engaging the community in conversation needs to be a much more participatory, needs to be filled with examples, needs to be the idea of sort of truly having a conversation about what the community is headed to, where the community is headed toward their yeah. grammar, uh, and then <laughs> figuring out how the library can support and be an engine of that change. So it, it's, and, and the pandemic has forced us to, to engage yeah. that, right? Because a yeah. lot of our presuppositions about what libraries do and what people like about them changes. And, and now we have a sort of, if you always saw the library as a physical place to go read books, um, and I, very few people have that specific yeah. image, but you, that ain't it anymore. And yet yeah. they still have this positive image. They're still looking for services. They're still engaging. Yeah. Um, th this is a nice transition into our next question. So last November, I saw you spoke about library science becoming harder to teach um, in a presentation entitled Never Neutral, Never Alone. Um, I've always believed that, you know, librarians adapt to their communities rather than the traditional roles that, you know, were deemed that we, we have. Um, you know, how have you changed your curriculum to meet these challenges? We talked about the podcast, but like, what, what are some of the other teaching things or teaching classes or, you know, what, what has changed over the years to, to help adapt? Well, a couple of things that have changed. So one, if you think about a lot of the core skills of librarianship, the fundamentals that we need to teach people, because what hasn't changed is the fact that we are trying to teach everything someone needs in a, you know, a 30 year career into yeah. to a year and a half at the beginning. Uh, that's always going to be a problem. So we need fundamental changes to open up that process, but mm -hmm. you know, information organization, we got stuff. How do we get the stuff to people information seeking? How are people looking for the stuff and how can we build systems to help? Um, find the stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that, that what we've seen in the past 10 years is the emergence of a new core skill, which is facilitation. Yeah. Um, and all these have fuzzy boundaries between them, but it's that idea of, you know, instruction fits into this, mm -hmm. uh, traditional reference fits into this, but it really is these community-wide conversations. And so uh, on one extreme, you've got something like the Richland library um, here in, in Columbia. And they're having an amazing, Tamara King is their director for outreach. And she's literally a mover shaker, amazing. And I'm proud to say an alumni. Yeah. But even if she wasn't, I'd still brag on her. They, they began a series of difficult conversations. And they've been having conversations now for three years around race. The idea of um, bringing people in to have serious and difficult conversations about race. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of, well, on next Tuesday at nine o'clock, we have a bunch of chairs, come do it. And it's not a matter of, well, let's go hire someone from outside to have this conversation. They trained their staff, librarians, professionals, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And how do you facilitate these conversations? How do you open people up to these ideas? How do you help people have these really hard conversations, but in a civil way? Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that also in the notion that when someone comes up to the reference desk, when someone comes to the library, when someone is in, in research setting looking for help in research support, it's not a matter of taking a bunch of questions and a transaction, finding materials and handing them off. It is truly building a relationship. 
mm-hmm. so that you understand their world better, that you, that you understand that they bring expertise to this conversation, not simply a question. That moving from transactions to relationships is a skill that we can teach. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing that in the curriculum. How do we train um, not, librarians not to simply be about a transaction? Here's a book, here's a material, here's a purchase, here's a search, yeah. to how do we build relationships, so community engagement, but even in things like good old fashioned cataloging metadata and information organization. Yeah. You know, good old uh, old term concepts that are still very relevant, like literary warrant. What are the terminology that people use to find things? Yeah. Uh, Barbara Kwasnick, a former colleague uh, of mine, uh, always talked about cataloging as um, a, a pre-reference interview that you were trying to answer what you anticipate to be the questions when you're describing materials. Yeah. You know, as we think about traditional catalogs, we've libraries have moved into almost like this discovery um, interface where now we have our traditional catalog, but we're also integrating e-content, website information, databases, you know, whatever they have, archives, genealogy, you know, whatever's in that outside world and we're bringing it into one platform. So now they're still maintaining that catalog where we're guessing what people are going to say, but we're also building these keywords, which they might, which we think they might search for to try and bring all of that relevant information into one spot. And I think like that challenge gets harder too, because now you're, you know, kind of like predicting what people will search for and staying on top of trends. Um, We're constantly learning ourselves as librarians. And discovery is a good example where if you, if you approach the discovery layer, as Mm -hmm. we talked about, yeah. You could still do it in a very transactional relationship, right? So a lot yeah. of people talk yeah. about the discovery layer. They talk about a Google-like search for library materials yeah. resources. But the, it often breaks down because Google is not an ahistoric engine, meaning Google remembers you over time. Now, that's mm-hmm. creepy and privacy challenge yeah. Yeah. and all of those things, but it has proven and demonstrable value from an interface and system design standpoint. Mm-hmm. That is that, you know, when you're doing that one search box on a library website and COA sitting behind it and it's looking through your EBSCO databases, et cetera. Yeah. If you come back to it tomorrow and you continue the search, you shouldn't have to start from scratch. And yet oftentimes right. that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I think about integrated library systems. To me, mm-hmm. the future of integrated library systems are actually learning management systems. For sure. That is, they help you with the inventory. They help you find and search through that inventory. But increasingly, they need to help you relate those findings to other findings, other materials, have duration of projects over time mm-hmm. to truly understand you better as it moves forward. And, and one of the challenges that we have that folks like Google do not is how do we do that in a way that protects and preserves privacy? Yeah. How do we do that in a way that's not creepy? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. You know, and, and that's why, um, you know, we really do need to look at integrated library systems much less as ca- and, and like I'm the first one to say this over the past 50 years, but anyway, the, the, you know, look at it much less as an inventory system and much more as a, you know, a search interface. And for me, like I say, learning, because every, every, to every, what is it? Every hammer, everything's a nail. Yeah. To me, everything's about learning. Yeah. That idea yeah. that, you know, if I'm going through and I have a real strong interest in, you know, electrical work, cause I'm going to do some work around my house mm-hmm. in a year when I come back to it, cause I, <laughs> cause what I did broke, um, I kind of want the system to remember that and say, all right, this is where you screwed up. Let's start again. Yeah. Um, and so that, that persistence. And 
the other part, you know, we started this conversation, you talked about some examples about how, um, you know, great services where the electrician was coming in, where yeah. these folks were coming in doing, how do we capture that in these systems? So it grows the knowledge, it grows this information. So when you're searching, the result may not just be, here's a great book, here's a great YouTube video, but here's a great electrician and here's a volunteer. And we have a session next Thursday on this topic. I love that. So like bringing in like, re, um, oh, what do we call this? Uh, like experts in the field, like having a database of yeah. local, local. Oh, David, that is such a great idea. Well, it's a profile management system. Yeah. We worked on, and as far as I know, Polaris didn't actually implement this, so you should steal it. But um, okay. <laughs> it, it goes something like this, which is, let's assume that there are community agents, businesses, yeah. individuals, et cetera, yeah. that are useful. If we can build profiles of these agents, that is everything, you know, it's like when you bring up a, a search and it says, you know, this is your hours and this is the website, et cetera. But if you build that in so that when people are searching, not only does it pull up materials, but these profiles, yeah. you can then go to the next level, which is, and this is, was an interesting conversation because a lot of librarians were like, that's a great idea, but I don't have time to go basically catalog everyone in my community. And the answer was, you don't do that. You let them catalog. Them yes. Right. Because many of these organizations don't have the expertise or the time or the money to build yeah. up their, their internet presence. Yeah. The library can become their host and their internet presence. Yes. And the benefit is, is as they're maintaining their material and keeping up to date, which they are driven to do, mm -hmm. that information keeps up to date within the larger information management system of the library. And so you then have this system where you are truly creating a platform for the community to come in and identify itself, advertise itself, inform itself. And, um, and then, like I say, you take these community profiles, you take the materials, you take databases and resources, and you add the next layer, which is instruction. That is, so now when I'm going to go do my electrical class, or I'm gonna come in and do a, a Zoom session on basic electrical work at home, I can very quickly say, and here are a bunch of resources that if you're interested, you go deep further, here's some videos, here's some books, here's some materials, here's a couple of agents and organizations that can help you out. Like for example, if you're going to do electrical work, you should know that this is the policy or that this is uh, what you need to know for um, getting a permit um, and so linking to the government agents and then storing it. And so that the next person who needs to do electrical work can in essence pull up this class um, and can add to it, change it, modify it. And then over time, you know, this is just, you've added the discovery layer, but now you've added the sort of learning knowledge layer on top of it as well. There's so many things that I want to say now that you brought up. Um, there's this great app. It's called the Nextdoor app. And you can like talk with your neighbors about, you know, things that are going on. And I, I'd say probably at least once or twice a week, I see people asking, where's a good electrician? I need a good plumber. I'm getting ready to move. Can you suggest, you know, good movers? And wouldn't that be a fabulous place to look? The other thing that you mentioned was about, you know, looking if you have to get a permit for something or the code. For years, I've been an advocate about um, like your county or city law library, like being integrated with the public library, because so many people don't know that those resources are out there and that you can find that information very easily, usually at your, your local law library and exposure to that information. You know, my neighbor's playing music till 11 o'clock at night. Well, the curfew is 10, you know, like learning all of that kind of stuff. People don't know they have access to find that information really easily from the library. 
Well, and, and one of the one of the ideas that I worked on um, with a student, he he talked about the idea on buses of putting iPads back in the day. You still do iPads. Um, where what happened was, so you have the library collections, you have library hours and times. Mm -hmm. Now you're building these profiles, yeah. and so you have institutions, organizations, including geo geolocations. Mm -hmm. You can then add events as we do, right? So that what's happening and where and when. And the notion was that on the bus you'd have this installation that could quickly see I'm here, pull from the library system, the library platform. If you get off at this stop, here are some organizations, here's a restaurant. By the way, if you say at six o'clock, here's a session that's going on down the street. Yeah. Um, and here are different things. And so the library, you know, when people are looking at the iPad and the bus, they don't think, oh, well, that's a library. But that's the library, right? The library is yeah. now in every bus. Yeah. And, and that, I think, what we need to be thinking about and why I like the, the title of your podcast. When we talk about open, it's not just open in terms of open software, which can make that happen, and APIs for open data, but it really is open effort. It's letting the community and, and documenting and capturing the community over time so that these third layer services can begin and be updated on top of it. I love that. I was just at the Philadelphia airport, well, pre-pandemic, and yeah. they have like a little, a little nook in there where it's like part of the Philadelphia Free Public Library and there's all like e-content titles that you can you can check out open uh, you know past their date so anyone can download them and read them and it's just another piece of exposure and I, I just I love that and we, we have students in one of my classes when I was back in Syracuse working on hyper local implementation so oh yeah you don't hear as much about them but they're still out there the notion of the pirate boxes which is the small wi-fi hub connect you know you can put it anywhere you want and it can share out materials and the idea that they were talking about is going into state parks and local parks and going on hiking trails and down the river and putting in these hyper local stations so uh, one of the things so in in south carolina i can talk about other ways but i'll just pick one here we have a state park down the road and it's really, it's a bunch of cool walkways through a swamp, a wetland. Um, and as you walk through, they have kiosks, you know, printed placards, not, not high tech. And you walk and you can read, you know, this kind of tree is here. This is the ecosystem. And one of them was, this is where a lot of escaped slaves came um, and they would build and stay here because people wouldn't come into this area to search for them. And I mean, you're learning as you're walking through. Yeah. And the notion of with the hyperlocal spot, which is that's interesting. I wish I could learn more. It's like, all right, well, download this autobiography and download this historical text. And here's a website and here's some videos. And, you know, you're walking around with your phone mm -hmm. like everyone is. The notion is that you can, you know, the library creates mini branches all over this trail, over these pathways where they're sharing out this information. And then once again, with local content, local creation and such. I love that. I really love that. Boy, I could talk about it for hours to you about all this stuff, but I will keep it to our, <laughs> to our time. Well, well, but just one last comment, which is, yeah. this is not foreign stuff because the idea that a library is collecting on, organizing, answering questions about yeah. its local community is easy, but it shifts our thinking to that doesn't just have to happen in a physical building that the taxpayers have constructed. And when we're in a pandemic, we're seeing the fact that once again, that building might be closed, but if you went and built these hyper-local access points throughout the parks, 
they're still up and functioning yeah. as you go. Oh yeah. And and so it is really in the wheelhouse of libraries, but it means you have to sort of flip your thinking, which is the building's a tool, the collection's a tool, the real function's the learning. Mm-hmm. And um, that's back to this sort of new normal, which is what do we take after this pandemic once knocking on Formica? Right. Um, you know, we, we don't want to jump, dive back into, well, we can just go back to the way it was. Yeah, I... I truly believe that what we're learning during this pandemic, I hope that many of our community members and libraries will take, you know, and, and change the way people view, uh, view libraries. I, I, I truly believe that they will. Okay, David, I'm going to finish things up with, uh, what are you reading or listening to? Um, <laughs> so the, the truth is the most of what I'm reading of, uh, you know, <laughs> are, are things I have to like, progress reports and business reports within the university because yeah. God knows that's the, that's, that's the life of an academic these days. But yeah. So like right now I'm immersed in a bunch of article by uh, um, Sue Young Ray, uh, who's out of the university of Texas, Austin. She's done some amazing work on credibility uh, mm-hmm. and how you sort of calculate and build credibility, but that's not the sexy answer. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I'm a sci-fi nut. And so I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm reading uh, Walter Travis's Mockingbird right now. Uh, okay. Walter Travis wrote uh, The Hustler. He also wrote The Queen's Gambit that the, ah. the Netflix series was based on. So he wrote some science fiction. So I'm working okay. my way through that. And then my other standard answer is I'm still trying to read Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which is one of these really dense books yeah. where we got the idea of paradigm shifts and par- you know what is a paradigm that came out of his work in the I think the first publication of that was in the sixties. And so mm-hmm. I, that that's the book I've been reading for my entire career and someday I will make it through it. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm a, I'm a big podcast listener. So, you know, my yeah. up first every morning, but uh, I, the, the ones that I think I, I highly recommend are um, on the media is a great one about mm. sort of media and narratives. It talks about the, the communications world and journalism, but it, it's much broader than that. Uh-huh. Um, that's a weekly podcast coming cool. out of WNYC. Uh, and then the, the really fun one that I just ran into was Nice Try. Uh, and it's on utopias and people's attempt to build utopias. And mm. so it takes stories like the Oneida community that was trying to build this, this idyllic world. It, it took the Biosphere 2 experiments and it sort of walks through they really tried to build this heaven on earth and this is how it blew up. <laughs> so it's, it's just a fascinating <laughs> bit of history and, and this attempt to create an idyllic environment. And normally it's some, you know, power hungry man that, that builds them and goes crazy and destroys it. But uh, it's a great, it's a great series of stories to listen to. Awesome. I'm going to check both of those out. Well, this has been truly wonderful. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for joining us on the Library is Open podcast. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much.